So I'm just going to say it. I want us to drop the phrase, stop using the phrase, just believe. I, I know we have good intentions when we say it. Um, I've said it. You've said it. But I want to peel things back a little today and see how that phrase really is not, it's, it's not the best we can do when trying to encourage someone to have faith. Let me give you some examples, okay? Your eight-year-old kid wants to be a star player in the NFL, National Football League, okay? He's an okay athlete, but he drops more passes than he catches, and he can't throw very far, and punt and kick, and he gets tackled more than he tackles others. But to make him feel good, because he wants to be a star in the NFL, you say, well, just believe, and you can be anything you want. Really? If you've watched your, your kid, and, he, and he's not, like, heads and shoulders ahead of all the other kids in his class and on his team, and if he's not, he, he can't, not just the star of the team, he's got to be star, not just of the league, he's got to be star of the entire region to even have a chance of possibly making it to the NFL. It's not an accurate statement for you to tell him, just believe you can be anything you want. As long, sometimes we'll add, as long as you put your mind to it. That's not reality. That's a make-believe statement that can spoil your kids if you tell them they can be anything they want just if they just put their mind to it. And if your boss tells you that at work, you tell him he's full of baloney. It's, it's not true. God made us to be according to the gifts that he's given us. I can't I can't be anything that, that I want. I'm, I'm limited in my gifts. I have some, but they may not, they're not in all areas. Here's a more serious one. Her friend in high school is cutting herself. She wants to encourage her friend because she's afraid that her friend is going to hurt herself or, again or worse. So she sends her a text message that says, just believe Everything will be okay. What's everything? And, and what is she supposed to believe in? And do you know statistically how many people who struggle with cutting or any kind of addiction just wake up one morning and say, ah, oh, that, that's so silly. I just... I just wasn't believing that everything would be okay. I think I'm going to believe that everything will be okay now, and whoa, and everything is okay. Do you know how often that works? Just believe. Just believe everything will be okay. Just believe you can be whatever you want. How about our building project? Let's talk about this. Right? We've been trying to build a building for five years. And, and there's all kinds of accolades and responses and how do we do this? I've probably said this, and if I did, I take it back publicly right now. I recant. Um, just believe God has a plan. Good. You're telling me God has a plan. Did he email it to you? Did, how many square feet is God's plan? How much does God's plan cost? And is God's plan that we can... Great break ground by, you know, January or February. Mr. Adams, you're the building committee chairman. Can you, you know, do you know that plan? 
I'm having fun with you, but I, right? Let's think through this. What, when we say just believe, God has a plan, what's the basis for that statement? And if God's plan is the current plan that we have, then what about the new proposal that we're seeking a possible partnership with divine Savior? If we said that this was the plan, then obviously this is not God's plan, so we shouldn't do it. Or maybe this is God's plan, and then all along that wasn't God's plan. What's God's plan? Just believe. I'll tell you God's plan. He sent this to me. And it's in my Bible. And God's plan is for us to believe in Jesus with our whole heart and that he's the most important thing in in the universe and in our lives. And we want every single other person we know to believe in Jesus too. And we will do almost anything for that to happen. And we'll be radically, sacrificially generous. And, and we'll be focused on the word of God and grow as much as we can ourselves. And, and it'll be all about God's kingdom. That's God's plan. How exactly the details look around that, God hasn't revealed to you or to me. But we can't say, just believe, God is a plan. Now, <clears throat> here's all kinds of other instances where this might come into play. You're trying to expand your business. Your boyfriend wants to have sex with you. And you honestly feel like uh, you want to be adored and admired and feel like you're pretty. And you struggle with that. You, yeah, you, you look in the mirror and you say, you see the, you know, uh, the shameful sins and secrets that, that nobody else knows about. Your past haunts you. You feel like you have to improve your health, but, but you're scared of the habits and the change in lifestyle that that, that could demand from you. you. You need to improve your prayer life. You just, you, you worry too much. You have a lot of questions. You're new to, to Christianity or you're not even a Christian at all. And you have all kinds of questions and you want to know things about the Bible and about God. And people say, ah, just believe. It doesn't work. At least not anymore, not for me. Not since studying for this Sunday. Just believe does not work. Because here's what it's really saying. That's why we put the just in front of it. Just believe, it's like we're saying... I don't have anything specific for you to believe in, so I just want you to believe in believing. I just want you to have faith in your faith. I just want you to think positively. I, 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 want, I want you to, you know, smile and put your chin up, and everything will be okay. That is lame For Christians who know God and know the Bible, we can do a lot better than that. And so I submit to you, that when we say phrases like just believe, that's all, there's also another term that we use that I, I'd be happy to dispense with, and that's blind faith. Just believe. Just close your eyes. You don't need any, any substance. Just start believing. Blind faith. The Bible talks about blind faith. You're supposed to have blind faith. Just have blind faith. How, does, how well does that work? Now, here's the Bible's definition of faith. The Bible's definition of faith, remember, the hand that 
that receives. And it's the hand isn't receiving thin air. The hand of faith that receives, receives God's gift, his promise. The Bible describes faith as standing solidly on solid ground, not on shaky ground, not on nothingness. Jesus in Sermon on the Mount says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a man who built his house on rock, not on thin air. God, Jesus, and the Bible ask no one to believe in thin air. Ask no one to have blind faith. Ask no one to just believe. We have that lesson from Martin Luther himself. Martin Luther struggled with his faith. He had faith and he believed. And, and I like what we're going to see in this first video clip because it reminds us that faith isn't always pretty either. All right? I can be standing squarely on solid ground of God and his promises. And what did Jesus say? The storms came and the, and, and the winds came and, and the waves rose up and the winds blew and beat against the man's house who built on the rock, but it didn't fall. You may still endure storms with a strong faith and it may not look pretty and it didn't always look pretty for, for luther either um, luther struggled mightily with depression and luther was uh, pretty cantankerous in, in some of his writings he wasn't a perfect person but his faith led him onward we're going to see how that looks right now so i know that's quite a bold statement and maybe it's new to you maybe it's not that Blind faith is a myth. So I want to show you Abraham's story and for you to see how that, that opens up and unravels from Genesis chapter 15. And Abraham didn't, God didn't come to Abraham and ask him to have blind faith. God gave Abraham solid, specific promises on which he'd build his faith, right? So those promises to Abraham are here in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah could not have children. That's the drama behind a lot of the promises that God brings to Abraham. Sarah was childless. Um, she couldn't get pregnant. And so in that day and age, it was very important to pass the family line along to your firstborn. And it just wasn't working for Abraham and Sarah. God came to them and uh, promised to Abraham. Already the first promise is in Genesis chapter 12. There's a, there's a string of these promises throughout these chapters. God promises, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have descendants, you're going to have offspring, which means you're going to have a child. Uh, and, and those descendants of Abraham then were really twofold. Physical descendants who descended from Abraham, we know as the Hebrews or the Jews. Also spiritual descendants who share the faith of Abraham. The New Testament talks about that as you and me and all believers, even if we're not physically Jews. So there's these two areas of descendants. So when God told Abraham, look up at the stars, and Abraham looked up at the stars, he saw a son, his own son. He saw the Israelites, the Jews, coming from him and his family. He saw a special son many generations later named Jesus. He saw all believers of all time in all the stars, and he saw you. When God had Abraham look at the stars, that, that was 
the promise that God gave. All right, now, in that string of, between that string of promises, there are certain episodes where Abraham thought, well, maybe if I just believe. And then when we say that statement, we always insert something other than what God promises. And so there were times when Abraham faltered a little bit and, and he just believed. And so it's mentioned here in Genesis 15. That was one of his strategies. Well, I guess I'm not having any children, God. You haven't given me a son yet. So Eliezer, a servant in my household, is going to be, he's, he's just going to carry on my family line. And you hear God here in Genesis 15 saying, no, and specifying now to Abraham, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Abraham, Abraham, when I say you're going to have a son, that means that you and your wife Sarah are going to do what married people do, and then Sarah's going to get pregnant, and you're going to have your own son. All right, got it, Abraham? That's, that's what I mean when I say you're going to have a son. Uh, very specific promise for Abraham to plant his feet on. Now, just as important was God's other promise here in Genesis 15. I am your shield and your very great reward. I know that God gives you promises like he gives to me. And I know that those promises are sometimes hard to believe because they don't always come true right away or in ways that we might expect them to come true. That was the case for Abraham. He waited 25 years for the promise of a child to come, come true. And in that span of time, that had to be hard. He, he probably expected that to happen right away. That's why God here, in the midst of these prom string of promises at this point, is telling Abraham, I'm your shield. So when God is telling you, when, when I make you a promise and you look at circumstances around you and you feel like those circumstances are ruling the day and they're going to ruin my promise, I'm your shield. Those circumstances, your, your situation, your environment, do not own me. They don't control me. I'm God. I gave you the promise. I'm your shield. I will protect you from circumstances that threaten any of my promises, God says to Abraham and to you. And your very great reward. You know, loving the gifts that come from God's promises is one thing, and it's okay, it's good. I love what God has given me in, in my world. He's given me two sons wonderful wife, awesome church, lets me arm wrestle once in a while and lose, all kinds of good things, right? I, I love all of it, but I don't love it more. I don't love those gifts more than the giver. I love God, and I love his son Jesus more than all of them put together, and they can all be taken away. And if I still have God, I'm a happy man, right? God is telling Abraham and you, I'm your great reward. Nothing can take me away from you. I'm giving you these promises. You can look at other circumstances all you want and think that life is ruined, but Abraham, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I am yours. My promises are yours. The, the one son, Jesus, I sent him for you, and he is yours. 
and through his living and his dying and his rising, I've forgiven you all of your sins. There is no shame. There are no lies. There's nothing in your life that's out of control. He promised you. That's, I'm your shield and your, your great reward. Then it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Didn't say Abraham just believed. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here's what the New Testament says about Abraham. Knowing the whole story, knowing that whole 25-year span, and Abraham faltering a little in, in between, um, Abraham wasn't perfect, but, but God is perfect. And Abraham's faith wasn't perfect, but God's promise is perfect. So this is what the New Testament says about Abraham. This is Romans chapter 4. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. So stop having faith in your own faith. You can do better than that. It's good. But you can do better than that. Stop having your faith in your own way. I mean, you may be pretty smart. Maybe maybe you write almost all the time. Even if you write all the time, you're not better than God. Stop having faith in your vision and your plan. We're all flawed. We're not perfect. You can do better than just believe. Right? You can put your faith in something rock solid. The Bible wants your faith in substance, not in make-believe. And that substance is God and his truth. There's a man who was uh, on the edge of a cliff, and, and sadly, he, uh, he fell off the cliff. And as he was tumbling down the cliff, falling towards his peril, he happened to uh, grab onto a branch. He grabbed on, and he stopped falling. And there he was hanging. And he, was, he had spun around so much, and he wasn't sure, his, he didn't have his bearings, he didn't know fa how far he had fallen, how, where, where the ground was, but all he knew was he, he was hanging on, and he was looking up into the sky, up uh, top of the cliff, and he said, is anybody up there? Silence. God, help me. Let go of the branch, came a voice from up there. Is anybody else up there? His own way, or at least he thought his own way would work better, and what he didn't realize is that he was 10 inches off the ground. If he had only trusted in God's promise. There was a, there was a promise, right? It, not just a command. Let go of the branch. There's, a, there's an implied promise in that. As in all God's commands. God's saying, let go. It'll be okay. I got taken care of. That's a promise. That's not just believing. Right? You and I tend to, we just think we know more than God, don't we? And God gives us a secure, solid promise in his word. So let's spend less time worrying about our faith and how, how much we believe and more time discovering those promises of God, those specifics that God gives to us in the Bible. And then we're on solid ground. That's what Abraham did and, and Martin Luther too.
as Lutherans, we believe that faith, true faith, real faith is not blind. It's based on substance. And so we bring that substance into our Sunday gatherings, into our worship service. We have a statement of faith every Sunday as a reminder of what that substance really is. We want our preaching to have substance and our teaching to have substance and our songs to have substance. So a few minutes from now, we'll join together in speaking some of the words from the actual Augsburg Confession. If you know them in German, you can say them that way, but the rest of us will say them in English. And uh, they're solid truths. That's where we base our faith. Now we're going to have a little presentation on, on the Luther movie about why it's important for her songs in worship to have that substance as well. One of the key teachings rediscovered during the Reformation is the doctrine of vocation. So the videos have focused on a church setting. Now this goes outside of the church setting and on purpose, right? That God has a calling and a role for each and every one of us. Um, if you were to survey Christians around the world today and ask, who is someone who is spiritually inspiring to you? A person not in the Bible, a person who's alive today, Who's spiritually inspiring to you? They'd probably name a religious professional of some sort. Their pastor, uh, a Christian author, uh, a Christian music artist, right? They'd probably name a, a, a religious professional. Many of the people in the Bible that you know were not religious professionals. They were not pastors. They weren't priests. They weren't prophets. Uh, Abraham himself was not a religious professional. He didn't work for the church, get paid by the church. Abraham was a rich rancher. And, and God blesses him, gives him his promises, and, and has descendants, both spiritual and physical descendants, coming from Abraham, and he's not even a religious professional. So the doctrine of vocation says this, that God has given each of us callings to use in our roles and our positions in life. It could be father, it could be friend, uh, it's related to your career with the talents that you use. Um, it, it can, it's outside of church, and we serve God outside of church. A refreshing change of pace for the people of that day and age who had the, the opinion that you are only really serving God if you work for him or, or volunteered in the church or work for him in the church. Great way to serve God, believe me, but there's a lot of other ways to, to serve God too and put your faith into practice. Listen to a little bit more in this video clip. There you have it, faith alone. And faith shouldn't be blind. Faith is based on substance, on the rock-solid works of God, who he is, what he does, and words of God, who he is and what he says. God showed that to Abraham as he gave him the promise and had Abraham look at the stars. The Bible says all God's promises are yes in Christ. So I tell you what, next time you see the stars, or even if you can't, it's a cloudy day, think of the stars. And look for that one star, that superstar, the sun. And, and put your faith in the Son. I'm talking about Jesus. All God's promises are yes in Christ. Search the scriptures. Be specific. Look for promises of God that he actually gives that you can cling to. Faith is meant to cling and to hold and to grab. 
And God will take you on a spiritual journey like you took Abraham, and you can believe like Abraham did, the father of our faith. Amen. Let's pray. God, you've taught us a lot about faith today. Through the story of Abraham, you're consistent and constant in his life with your promises, and you teach us that you are the same for us. So direct us on our spiritual journeys and our journeys of faith. Direct us to the promises, to the words of the Bible that you give to us that are so sound and secure, to your truths where we can plant our feet of faith and stand firm. Amen.